Hey y'all, and welcome to the Teacher Nook, where we break down strategies, tools, and resources to help self-contained educators teaching students with significant disabilities, including autism. Learn tips and tricks to manage behavior, improve communication, and build vocational skills in less time and with less stress. We help you work smarter, not harder. It's Ayo here, and I want to thank you for joining me today. As always, I'm here to help you by answering your questions on teaching students with severe and profound disabilities. But before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that you can have your questions answered on the Teacher Nook by heading over to the website and submitting a question today. If you have your question chosen for the podcast, you'll receive a free resource from the Noodle Nook store. Our store has visual supports for communication and behavior, including token boards and visual schedules, adapted novels and activities to develop students academically, like our new builder bin, your DIY dollar store STEM activities, and vocational training tools like principal and DIY task boxes, all meant to support teachers in special education or autism units. So be sure to visit www.noodlenook.net today to get your questions answered. All right, let's get this podcast started. No matter what point in the school year you are in or how long you've been working with students, there are behaviors out there that will drive you insane (laughs) or put you in danger or even make you want to quit. Okay, don't, don't quit. It's easy to forget that you have the power in these situations and that you can change behavior. So let me tell you a quick story. I will never, ever, ever forget a student I had way back in my first year of teaching. I was a mid-year start and I had I had all the kids with the really bad behaviors in a self-contained classroom. It was all boys. It was all first through third graders. And I started mid-year, so all of their behaviors had already been established way before I got there. There were six of them, and each one of them had behaviors that needed addressing. Like, every single one of them had more than one behavior that needed to be addressed. But there was one. He was the one that almost sent me packing. He, oh, he just challenged me so much. And when he was challenged or told what to do and he didn't do it, um, and he didn't want to do it, he would fall out on the floor. He would start mimicking what could only be defined or explained as some, as bad porn. Um, He would get on the ground and moan and whine and roll around and it was in a very erotic way, it was, I mean, the first time he did it, I literally, I froze. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. All I could think was, what, the H-E double hockey sticks? Oh my God. This might not be the place for me. And it took a lot of trial and error. There were total failures. And there was enough frustration for me that year that it's almost divine intervention that I didn't quit. Um, I, I, I cannot tell you how many days I woke up and I, I almost couldn't will my legs to get out of the bed because I knew what was waiting for me in my classroom. But now, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back, I know now I could have done a better job in that moment. So let's talk about what I know in hindsight that I wish I knew then. And the first one is what is the function of the behavior? WTF should be what's the function, right? (laughs) 
If you're looking at a kid and you're thinking WTF, hopefully what the function is coming out of your is coming out of your mouth. You have to fill out some kind of behavior analysis. Remember, if we want to boil down the entirety of behavior for students, it's it's really two things that are happening. A student wants to get something or they want to avoid something. If you had to break it down into two things, those are the two functions of the behavior. So if you don't have a functional behavior analysis form, I highly suggest you get one so that you know what it is that is motivating the behavior for this student. Now, if you go to www.noodlenook.net slash functions dash of dash behavior, or just go to the site and hit the search box and type function, you'll see this post that will have a free FBA for you to access. Most of you guys, if you're on a campus, your campus or district has an FBA that they want you to complete. But if you don't have access to one and you really want to try to figure it out, there's one from the New Mexico Public Department of Technical Assistance that has one, including an explanation of how to complete it. And I think it's a great way to start getting some some basic information about the function of behavior. All right, so... Like I said, most behavior is to get something or to avoid something. And that's it. It's really that simple. (laughs) But it's trying to figure out what the thing is that the students are trying to avoid or get to. That's the hard part. Do the FBA. And maybe it's one of the four big, big functions, right? Which is seat. S, is it sensory? Are they trying to get to or get away from um, something sensory? Is it escape? Is a student trying to escape to a place they like or escape from where they are right now that they don't like? Is it attention? Is a student doing something to get either positive or negative attention? Or are they trying to get away from the attention they're getting? And then finally, is it a tangible item? Is it something that they tangibly want? That you've given them something they don't want or that they're trying to get to something they do want? So if you remember S-E-A-T, seat, that's sensory, escape, attention, and tangible, you really will have a good direction of what the function of the behavior is. You'll know WTF. All right, so once you have the function, (laughs) you got it, but now what do you do? What are we supposed to do next? Well, I'm going to hit the highlight reel of what works in the classroom, especially in autism units or self-contained special ed classrooms, that you can do to address changing behavior. Tip number one is stop making the negative consequence more negative. Try making the positive consequence more positive. When I think of my squirming, sexed up six-year-old, I told him a lot about the bad things that were going on if he didn't stop. The bad things that would happen if he didn't knock it off. I was going to call his house. I was going to take him to the office. I was going to press the button. But what I hardly ever did was tell him way before the behavior, behavior ever happened the positive things that were going to happen if he had the good behavior. The positive things that he was going to get if he did his work. I was always reacting and I was rarely ever proactive. I just spent too much time playing defense and not enough time playing offense. And are you doing the same thing? I mean, try setting the student up for success at the start of an activity or when you're getting to ready to transition to a new task. Remind the student what they're working for. In fact, you can get the token economy chart out of the Noodle Nook store to help your students remember what they're working for. There's also a post on the Noodle Nook website that will walk you through it and a video on the YouTube channel. 
those token economy charts, those token boards are a great way, a great way for you to reinforce the positive and stop focusing on the negative. We've got to focus on the positives of good and not the negatives of bad. Because I can tell you right now, you cannot change behavior with negative consequences. You can change behavior with positive reinforcement. So if your entire behavior plan rests on consequences, negative ones, you're setting yourself up for failure. I wish I'd known that back then. Tip number two is set up the situation for success. I mean, we can't all work in ideal environments. <laughs> if, we, if we could, I'd be telecommuting from a white sandy beach somewhere. But you can consider what a student really needs in order to avoid a trigger situation in the environment. I had a student who hated noise. He, he hated group work and he hated noise. So he never, you know, he never wanted our class to do any kind of work in groups. He never wanted to be forced into a group to work because he didn't like all the auditory that came with it. It just automatically upped the noise level as soon as our classroom would transition to a group activity. So I had to think about how I was planning my lessons. How can I plan my lessons to make sure he's successful? Way back when, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't planning my lessons for him. Quite honestly, I was planning my lessons for me and the person who was coming to check on me. So after that, I had to think about what group lessons were going to look like. Did I stop doing group lessons? No, I still did group lessons. But I would prepare him ahead of time. I would give him a coping tool to deal with what it was that was frustrating him and maybe allow him to work apart from the others on certain projects so I could set him up for success. That's what I do now. Back, back then, that first year, I, I didn't know that I needed to set up the situation for success. I didn't know that I was helping to contribute to the behaviors. Number three here is to still address the behavior. <laughs> Did I let my introvert friend who didn't want to have any noise sit in the corner all day from everyone and ban all noise in the classroom and stop all group work because I was worried that he was going to do this weird sex thing in the middle of the floor? Um that's not how I make my classroom ideal for him. I can't do that because I can't meet the needs of the rest of the students. And I need all of those things in order to make everyone else move forward. What I also needed to do is work on his coping strategies and his coping skills so that he's better able in those situations to, to get through without a behavior. That situation for him was overwhelming, but he needed the tools to make better choices. And that's what we tend to not focus on. We focus on the consequence and we never ask, what do I want my student to do differently? How do I get my student to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing? And you can work on improving social skills. Um, there's a post on the website about social skills specifically. But the biggest thing is you have to remember that replacing the behavior is the goal of working on addressing behaviors in the classroom. You need a replacement. And the replacement isn't stop throwing things and stop looking like you're having sex on my floors. It's what do I want you to do instead? If you don't want to do this activity, I need you to request a break. If you don't want to do the activity, I need you to raise your hand and let me know. There has to be something that you want to see instead that gives the student a way to get what they need the right way. That's why you have to know the function of these behaviors. And then tip number four is to practice the replacement behavior when the student is calm. 
I don't know if, if y'all are swimmers, but it's really hard to learn to swim when you're drowning. I know there's parents out there who are like, no, you just throw the kid in the water and they just figure out how to swim. But if you're drowning, it's hard to learn how to swim well. If you have a kid in your classroom who's standing there with a desk over their heads ready to throw it at you, it's hard for you in that moment to say, let's try something new. Let's count backwards and write in a journal. (laughs) While the student is calm, you want to teach them with modeling and instruction prior to the behavior, what the replacement behavior looks and feels like. And you also want to teach them the cue to do the behavior. If that same kid is standing over you with a table ready to throw it at your head and you can cue them with a calm down sequence word, I need you to calm down. And that tells them, okay, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do when this, when that, when that, when someone says that, this is what I'm supposed to do. That's how we train the replacement behavior. We can't do it in the moment of stress. We have to do it in the moment of calm. And that, that replacement behavior has to be accessible always. So I was in a classroom and a child's replacement behavior was music. And the teacher would use her own phone to provide the music. But then she was out. And the sub didn't have this music that was the preferred music of the student on her phone. And she actually didn't even know (laughs) what the music was. Um, This teacher, the substitute turned on the radio. And let me tell you, uh, what ensued after that was nothing short of epic. That, That student had a visceral visceral reaction to not being able to get the replacement behavior that was promised. So remember to make the pieces of your replacement behavior plan accessible. And if you're interested in reading more about the function of behavior, don't forget to log into the site. There's more on positive behavior interventions for parents on rights law as well. And they actually have an example of a behavior intervention strategy that starts around page six. Go to the website so you can get the PDF link that will help you if you're working through the same thing. And then the tip number five, right, is to keep great data. This is so important. Oh my gosh. How will you know what works or when you have triggers or how a student is really doing at coping if all you have is anecdotal observations? You have to keep good data to show growth. You have to keep good data to show areas of concern. And you have to keep good data if you want to pinpoint when and how you're going to address target behavior. So take take an ABC chart. Remember, the A is for antecedent, what happens right before the behavior. The B is the behavior itself, what the student did in the moment. And the C is the consequence, what happens right after the behavior, whether positive or negative. And sometimes whether seen or unseen, you really have to be kind of an inspector to make sure you're getting that right. But really take special notice of the ABCs of the behavior so that you, you have some good data to inform what choices you're making. So let's recap functions of behavior here real quick. Hopefully this helps, right? My lovely student is doing a terrible behavior. What do I do? First, explain the get. If they do right if they do are doing wrong, what is the consequence of what they're doing so that you can figure out the function, right? Then we have to set the behavior up for success, or excuse me, we have to set the environment up for success. Then we have to have a plan for the replacement behavior. We have to practice the replacement behavior. And then we have to keep good data so we know what is working and what's not working. Listen, it is hard to deal with behaviors, especially if you are getting hurt every day. But that's the moment that you have to reassess where you are in this, in this process. Read the reference guides if you need more help, but don't give up. The reference guides are available on the site. 
You totally can do this. You can change the behaviors, but you have to go through this process. You have to know the function. You have to set up your environment for success. You have to have a replacement behavior. You have to practice the replacement behavior before the behaviors happen. And you've got to keep good data. If you can do those things, you will be successful. It might take some time, but you will be successful. Don't give up. Don't leave the, cl- the classroom. You can do this. All right, y'all. There are so many questions out there about how to be the best teacher you can be when you work with low-incident students and students with severe disabilities like autism. And we need all the great teachers we can get, so stay strong and teach on. Thanks for listening to The Teacher Nook. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing now. You can do that by visiting www.noodlenook.net or searching on your favorite podcast player. Bye, y'all. Till next time.